Welcome back to The Buddy Ruski Show, a podcast about origin stories. This is episode 20. My guest today is Mike Shields. Mike is an arborist by trade, but an artist at heart. He is the co-founder of Across the Margin, a media and publishing company based in New York City. Mike and I met through our mutual friend and my longtime roommate, Tom Rao. Tommy and I have been living together for so long, I think we're technically married in some states. You'll hear from him briefly at the end of the show. We cover Mike's upbringing in the Northeast, his college years at Virginia Tech, the idea of manifest dismantling and being fangirls of Jenny O'Dell. Mike had the pleasure of interviewing Jenny on his show, Across the Margin, the podcast, a couple months ago. We also talked about what it takes to run a media company in the digital age. Storytelling is a core tenet of Across the Margin, as it is here at Buddy Ruski, so we were really vibing. Hope you enjoy. Be sure to follow Buddy Ruski on social, and sign up for the newsletter at BuddyRuski.com. Buckle up, kiddos. Here's Mike Shields. Mike Shields. Thanks so much for being on the Buddy Ruski Show today. It's truly, truly my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. I was trying to recollect the first time that you and I met or crossed paths, and I, mm. I don't know if I can pinpoint the exact moment. I do remember Tom, my roommate, and your friend, mm-hmm. our friend Tom, yep. introducing Across the Margin to me, yeah. the uh, media publication that you co-founded uh, and being really intrigued just even before I knew you uh, with the publication. And then mm-hmm. I want to say maybe you made your way down to North Carolina um, at some point. I know you did at least once. Um, that might have been later in our in our relationship. But uh, yeah. but you're, you're one of the first people that I've actually interviewed specifically on this show uh, that's not in like my runaway creatives mm-hmm orbit here in Durham, North Carolina. So uh, it's a real pleasure to <laughs> be branching out into the great state of New York. So yeah. Be it, talking to you. Well, it's an honor hearing that. And um, yeah, I know the first time we met in person, it was just about a couple years ago, I, I flew down to see Tom Rao. Um, and uh, we ended up watching battle rap videos and <laughs> to his dismay, probably for, for hours on end, which was a delight. But um, you know, kind of a credit to the internet. We had a relationship before then just because of kind of, uh, you know, getting in touch uh, about our mutual interest and, and through Tom, which we have to thank him for that as well. But, but yeah, I think that was the first time, but yeah, great to connect. And it's, it's, it's always, uh, it's always fun to watch what you're doing as well. Cause I know we dabble in, in similar fields and, um, you know, we share ideas about what's working and what's not, you know? Yeah, I have found the internet to be a mostly chaotic space, but mm-hmm. there are few a few bright lights. And I think being able to stay connected with folks like you, especially, you know, on Twitter for our mm-hmm. shared interests in battle rap, in hip hop music, in sports, yeah. in politics, all those things. And books. You, uh, you, books. You, you lit me up with a wonderful book that led me to my... Uh, last podcast, my latest interview with Jenny O'Dell with How to Do Nothing. I, I, I credit with you with, with putting me on. I know we had a long conversation about that. And I just, 
I loved talking to her about the book and exploring those ideas. That, that book meant a lot to me. So thank you for that as well. Absolutely. We'll definitely get into that um, a yep. little later, but I'd love cool. to start, uh, especially for folks, you know, in, in my orbit that'll be listening to this show, don't know a ton about you, given that cool. you are a, uh, you know, an unknown figure in the Durham creative scene, which again, tends to be a lot of my audience. So I'd love to cool. backtrack a bit and just hear a little bit more about your origin story and how you got to where you are in, in New York now. Yeah, um, I actually, I've always loved writing and art and culture, but I didn't study that. And when I went into school, I was, uh, I love the outdoors a lot as well. Part of the appeal of Jenny O'Dell's book as well that I'm sure we'll talk about. She talks about nature a lot, but uh, um, one of the things I do, I'm an arborist. So I studied environmental resource management and uh, forestry at Virginia Tech where I did meet Tom. And um but at the side, I was always doing fun stuff. I mean, I was just a crazy music enthusiast. I just, I always love words and wordplay. It just, it's, it was my hobby on the side. But um, were either also, of your parents artists of any kind? They weren't. My um, my father was a businessman, and he uh, worked in uh, health insurance, and that's kind of why I believe I kind of got into something that would lead me towards outdoor work. I saw him um, mostly hating his job going to like kind of the confines, you know, putting on the suit every day, going into a cubicle or, you know, later on a nicer office, but like just, just kind of going through the motions and not, you know, he did great. And, 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 um, you know, he was providing for his family and, and, you know, and providing, you know, and, you know, I'm proud of what he was doing and I'm sure he was proud of what he was doing, but just the lack of passion I saw sometimes I was just like, I don't want to be in that box. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And so I think that's something that steered me towards, I want to do something where I'm in the natural world and I'm learning it, learning about nature, something where I could be outside. I, I don't, I was scared of the box. I was scared of, I was scared of cubicles, which is funny too, though, because as I um, did get into a career in arborism, arboriculture, um, I ended up, you know, doing well. I was outside doing um, a lot of the production work, but as I, as I kind of moved up the rungs and um you know, got, getting to a point where it was like, ah, um, what would be kind of one of the higher jobs you can get in, in, in the field. It was an arborist representative for, for a pretty good company here. Um, I ended up, you know, kind of just doing the same thing. I was, I had an office job as well. And like, it was, I, I got out of the field and it was moved right into sales. And I did that, um, for about three years and I was just making more money than I had in my entire life. And I was just like, this is, this isn't it. I, I got caught up in it and, and I was like, I, I can't be here anymore. And it was around that time I started really like, I got to pursue these other things, these other passions of mine. Um, and that's kind of where I started uh, uh, writing a lot before even across the margin, I was writing, I actually was writing a lot about food. I, I was, I, I loved the food culture in New York city. And um I was, you know, inspired a lot by Anthony Bourdain's books. And I was just, it was, I was, you know, it, I was working, I was writing for a bunch of uh, notable food publications after a while. Um, and Anthony has said this himself. He's like, there are so many times you could use the words, the same words to describe food. It actually starts to feel limiting. And I wanted to write about a lot of my other passions. So I started writing on a more diverse level. Um, and I think that kind of steers us towards where, across the margin came from. Um, Are you a native Northeasterner? 
I am. I'm uh, originally from Connecticut. Um, and that's right. You're a big Yukon guy, big Yukon fan. And, um, then, uh, around junior year, just before junior year, my father lost his job and, um, we ended up moving, um, to Northern Virginia, the Fairfax area, um, middle of high school. I was not pleased. They took, they took me down there kicking and screaming and, and, you know, it's a, it's, it's a privileged thing to be able to say anything like that. But, um, you know, kind of in what would be kind of your victory lap in high school, that, that junior year and that senior year, um, I was, I was having to start over, but I actually believe that was one of the best things that's ever happened to me. I don't even think we'd be speaking right now if I didn't do that. I think it's, it was very character building to go down there and be sit, sitting at a, a cafeteria table by myself as a junior in high school for like a month, two months before, you know, people are pretty clicky at that point, even to the, to the degree where, I remember getting to college and, you know, a lot of people, it's new to them, this, this into the new environment. And I was just like, I just did this, you know, this is easy. Like meeting friends is easy. Like I just, I kind of went through those motions, but then, you know, I would have never, I would have gone to a school in the Northeast. I wouldn't have branched out in the way as, as so many, most people I knew in, um, in Connecticut just kind of stuck. There's so many colleges around there. And, and um, you know, so like the experience of living in Northern Virginia around DC, getting to DC and then, um, you know, choosing to go down to school in Blacksburg, like going to a big Southern school is something I don't think would have happened. And I wouldn't have met so many of the people that um, turned out to be some of my best friends and, and inspirations. And, and yeah. So what did you major in at, at Virginia tech? It was uh, environmental resource management yeah. and in okay. special forestry. And that's, um, but as I kind of delved into the field, I've always, I just love cities. I love urban culture. I love an urban environment. So I found out first how to, um, you know, specialize in, um, you know, urban arboriculture and, 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 you know, making sure trees and plants can grow in an urban landscape. And um, so it's that was- It's a shame that, that those two ideas are, are counterintuitive to some degree. Mm. Or like, you know, when people think urban, they don't think yeah, agriculture. And, and I think that there's an, an issue there. I'm glad to hear that you're trying to find where those two things meet. Uh, I love I, I love working in that space. And it's it's something I mean, to bring up Jenny O'Dell's book, again, they talk about manifest dismantling. It's something that I that I bring, I bring um, uh, to the table now when I'm, when I'm looking at projects in the city, I'm actually working on a huge project down in Texas right now, one of the major cities and, and we're kind of we're, we're re uh, you know, we're looking at everything in this new way. We're looking at just because it is, doesn't mean it has to be. And we're just, we're bringing a we're cladding walls with like, like uh, just like vine growth and just like making bridges look like vegetation. And it's just, it's so much fun to, to, you know, play in this space that, that, that can have much more life vegetation wise um, than, than it's been grand. And it's, it's funny that you say that because, for a while, when I was first in New York City, and there was many times I'd be at a dinner, and what, and they'd be like, "What do you do?" And I'm like, "I'm an arborist," and they'd say, "What's that?" And yeah. I never got that. I never got that in a lot of places. I got that, but um, yeah. So I, I, I lived out before I came to New York. Um, I, I had to give out west a little shot. So I, I um, this was right after college. Soon after college, I lived. I went up to Massachusetts. I lived on Martha's Vineyard for just a, a, like seven months, just to just have fun. I, I worked at a winery up there, which is a lot of fun. I gave tours, um, telling them how we made the wine, and um, I like wine a little bit. And then, uh, and then I moved out to San Diego, and um, 
it was great living out there. You know, I loved learning. I love going to new places and it's the idea of bioregionalism. Again, I love learning all the vegetation in different places. So that was just a thrill. I worked up like the job I had, I worked all over California and it's a great, great state. It's got a lot of my heart, but San Diego doesn't, it's, it doesn't, I'm not a, not a surfer. It's, I was missing culture. I was missing culture a lot. Like the, just the, art space they have there. And maybe I'm not giving it enough credit, but it wasn't finding my world. And so after a while, I just was like, I wanted to go from zero to a hundred. I'm like, I, I'm going to New York city. Like I, I, I want, I, I want all the culture. I want all the art. Um, and so I just hit up their parks department and they were just like, yeah, come on in. And so that's how my New York journey began. And um, I, they're going to have to drag me kicking and screaming out of here. I, <laughs> I'm pretty hooked. Uh, so aside from, for what you do, in your sort of day-to-day in the arborist space, you co-founded a media company, like I mentioned, Across the Margin. How did you and your co-founders, you know, what was that exploration like founding a media company, deciding to go from sort of hobbyist to professional, uh, especially with media? We talked about this a little bit mm-hmm. in previous conversations, how much it changes year to year i mean the media landscape basically since the internet has just been in this weird flux and you know print media is dying digital media is growing but even within that only certain types of digital media maybe are growing and institutions still have the have a stronghold on the industry in a lot of ways um you know it doesn't take a lot for the new york times to spin up a website that's going to get millions of hits every day compared to a young upstart so i'm wondering you know a bit about that process founding across the margin and what you all were thinking as you're deciding to bring this thing together in the midst of again fighting the big guys but then also just like in this crowded space of digital media yeah um with everything you said it's it was kind of a blessing that we went into it entirely ignorantly meaning we didn't think about what we were up against um at all it was just it it was it was literally just it i always speak about it i mean because i kind of held the whole thing i did it for selfish reasons meaning i was submitting so much work to other publications and you know, that was, it, it, it wasn't really satisfying at all. It was fun to see, you know, when I got pieces in, in some notable publications, but then, uh, was this work related to arborism specifically? No, or this not was at all. Line? Not at all. It was just, it was, it was more writing about music, writing about food, writing about art. I would go The see. culture you went to New York for, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and also I would look around and, you know, um, uh, I would look around for sites like across margin and ended up becoming, and I just wasn't finding places where you can go, where you can get, you know, uh, uh, fiction. I love fiction, but you could also get politics being spoken about music being spoken about. You can read some poetry. I mean, honestly, um, the New Yorker was a big influence for what we do. And I want it because you can get all those at those spaces. I remember just, I was a young New Yorker reader and I would like have it around and people would see it as like a, Old, like, what are you doing reading that as they were reading, uh, you know, I don't want to throw any publications under, under, under their bus, but like, I was just like, this is, yo, this is doper than you think. And so when I was kind of 
bringing across the margin of life. I'm like, I want to have a space where so much can exist, something for everybody. And it was almost kind of like um, a younger version, I was hoping, of The New Yorker, you know, and where we had all those things and where people who can come and want to read about music and movies, they could also, I mean, poetry's dope. Some people don't realize how dope it is. And I just like, maybe they'd stumble into that. And, you know, all these worlds are, are colliding, but um, we didn't overthink it. And, be, and, and because we didn't want much of it at first, we just wanted, I had a ton of friends who were writers and I just wanted, and, and like who weren't in the writing field and who would share writing with me once they saw me writing. And I'm like, you're really good. You're, I mean, my, one of the people I work with, um, probably the most involved besides me at Across the Margin is Chris Thompson. He's a digital artist, great, great digital artist, does a lot of work for us, but um, he's an amazing writer and he's so busy with his digital art, whether it's Across the Margin or other stuff he's doing that he doesn't write enough. Now I'm going to push him so hard to write a book one day. He's so good, but he was one of them. He just, he's just like, I, I write too. And people would come out of the woodworks once they found out and like, you know, so we started kind of like, which was like phase one was just like the website. And if you saw it now, it wasn't, wasn't a pretty picture, but once all of a sudden organically, we were getting uh, people submitting from all over the place and just like, you know, I see what you're doing. And we're like, after a while, like, yeah, we got to step it up. Like, this is kind of happening. We got to do something here. Um, and so it was just, it was just organically building on its own. And we were just putting out articles and just, just having fun, just totally having fun. Um, but then I just, I, I, I got so passionate about it, about passion. You know, I didn't know I would get addicted to helping people tell their stories. It was just, it was, it was incredible working just, and also reading their stories. We always, one of the things we really wanted to base it on was just real talk. Like we're all messed up. We all have our issues. We all, we're all going through stuff. And, and I feel too often that people are, 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 are putting that to the side and presenting themselves as something else. And, and I don't think what they're putting to the side is ugly. There's so much beauty. There's so much honesty. And it was just, I wanted to tell real life stories. And I think people were drawn to that because that's the type of stories that we kind of made our foundation on. And, and that was just super exciting to me. Were you thinking regionally, you mentioned the New Yorker as inspiration for your, for, for Across the Margin. Were you thinking about Across the Margin as being a somewhat regional publication or were these stories coming in from all over the place? They were, they, they were coming in from all over the place, which is kind of just the, the power again of this uh, thing that sometimes you can look at as pretty awful, but it, it just can bring people together from all over the place. But there was a little bit of a regional thing. A lot of the um, poets I was working with uh, originally were local. And, and, and it's also because... Um, it's, a, you know, I, I would get out and go to start, started going to, you know, poetry readings and started getting out there a little bit or, or people would be hitting us, hitting us up and be like, you got to come and check out this. So a little community within a community was, you know, underlying, you couldn't really tell on the site, but that was definitely, definitely um, bubbling for sure. So, yeah, but I would say overall, no, it was just, it was coming from all over the place. I mean, there are, in when you're in New York, and this is why a lot of people end up going to New York, is that you were just you bump into people and whole subcultures all the time. And so no matter how many publications New York seems to have, there's always more that can be covered yeah. in a place like that. And so yeah. I imagine that there is a lot of inspiration that comes from being in a place like New York. And for me, you mentioned the thrill of helping people tell their stories. That was something even for Gabe, my uh, business partner at, at mm -hmm. Runaway at the clothing store, that was something that we would talk about all the time as well in not just in 
in writing, because that was one of the things that I really enjoyed was covering things, you know, on our blog, but even if it's hosting an event that we're bringing a couple DJs that people don't know into play into our store or something like that, just that community building that happens through storytelling is really fun and, and really important too, to having a thriving culture of any kind. So I can relate to that idea a yeah. lot as a fellow storyteller. And I just always look, I, I, everyone really, it sounds very, very cliche, but I mean, almost everyone has a story to tell that's very intriguing. And, and, you know, it's so often, I mean, I've had people who, like I said, I was having people coming out of the closet, writers coming out of the closet all over the place, but there's so many times where I'm just now, now that I have these platforms, not just platform platforms, I just run into people and be having conversations with them. Like, man, that, you know, you, not only would it be fun for you to tell this story, but do you know how many people would help to tell this story? Do you know how many people have dealt with what you're dealing with and what you're telling me about? And if they heard other people were doing it or, or saw how you dealt with it, what, what, you know, then that's, I mean, something that is really important to me. Um, and it goes back to that honesty and that real life thing is like we tell so many or I help tell and have written about mine too, um, mental health issues and mental, just kind of breaking down stigmas was a big thing from the beginning. And just 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 telling the stories that that just shouldn't they shouldn't be slept under the rugs. They shouldn't be looked at poorly. It should be conversations we're having way more easily. And just we're making we're making this a lot harder on ourselves than we have to be. We should just be giving each other a break. And it just, you know, that's also um, well, well, I'm sure we'll lead towards publishing. But one of the most exciting things I was able to do um, when we got into publishing is, is one of the books we put out is called The Bounce and the Echo. It's um, by Ian Johnson. You might have heard of him if you follow college basketball. He's a Davidson star. He actually, right before Stefan Curry got there, he was their leading scorer. He had some nice runs in, into uh, into uh, NCAA tournament, but he um, he had uh, mental health issues his whole career. Like it's it's and it's it's incredible. He was able to have the, the career. He had a very successful career overseas as well um, with what he was dealing with. And our worlds collided because he submitted a story to Across the Margin, and it was a story about mental health and what he was dealing with. And it was off the court, I believe. And I, I just, I just went back to him. Like, do you have, do you have more? And um, he's like, I got a ton. He's like, I got a story. Like he's, um, I mean, he played at, um, uh, what's the place where Carmelo played and everyone played in high school. I don't know if you Oak know. What he played at Oak Hill with them. Yeah. He, like he was, it was like, he was on, he was on Mello's team. It was a, and like, this is look, I just can't see it now with the bass and the echo. But so we were able to go around when we were doing our book tour on it. We were able to go, um, every book, uh, every reading we did turned into an open discussion between us and everyone who's there about mental health and people were coming up and, and telling us things about themselves. Like I, OCD was one and, you know, deep depression was, was some of the things he was dealing with. And it just turned into a round table about mental health. And it was some of the most um, thrilling things that, that I've been, ever been a part of. It was amazing. What is that transition like? You talked about it a little bit for yourself between yeah. hobbyist and professional, but as you're, you know, you've, you've found across the margin and then you're thinking about where it's going to go, what stories mm -hmm. you want to tell, what are some of the challenges that you faced or that, that you and your team faced making that, you know, as, as you're walking that journey, um, you know, starting a media company, I think a lot of people forget in any creative field, how much actually goes into creating 
art of any kind. And as a media company, you are curating tons of art all the time. And so there are certainly challenges to that. Could you talk a little bit a bit about those challenges? Absolutely. Um, I guess to get to those challenges, I, I want to kind of describe what I was thinking when when the whole thing kind of blossomed, meaning it did just start with, um, you know, the kind of publishing daily at across the margin, which it was a thrill when it got to the point where we were putting out articles every single day, whether articles, um, fiction, nonfiction stories, poetry, just something we were bringing to life every single day. But then, like I said, we got addicted to telling the stories and it was just like, we, we started thinking about how many ways there are to tell the stories and how limiting it felt, even how, you know, how exciting it was to tell these stories, how limiting it felt just to do it in this one way. Um, and the only, I, I could think of a good example and um, in uh, Donald Glover's, um, uh, what is it? It's um, Beyond the Internet. No, it's a, Because of the Internet. I, I'm sorry, blanking a little bit. Because of the Internet. When he put out that album, it was, uh, he, he was, saying he's like he didn't want it he wasn't in love with albums which i'm i'm in love with albums so i don't i don't share that but like he was he wanted it to be so much more it was the idea of just putting out an album seemed boring to him he wanted to be you know uh he put a screenplay out that you're supposed to read along with it he was doing you know obviously a bunch of videos there was all this interactive art um there was in-person events and just he's like he's like it wasn't enough just to do one thing. And that's kind of what I thought about when it came to the abilities to tell stories. So I was like, first thing we need to do is make sure that we're able to put out books because we want to be able to tell long form stories. At the same time we were starting that, I was, you know, the podcasting world was something I became very quickly infatuated with because I, I found immediately that people were telling some amazing stories on there. And again, very honest, very real. It was getting deep. You had the chance to talk like we are right now for a very long time and explain your point of view or explain what you're going through. And it was just, it was just like, I saw both of those means as two ways to really, really tell, tell some deep stories and really get into it. Um, and so to speak on publishing that, that was a, there was hurdles there right away. Um, obviously you got to learn the systems of, of putting together a book and, and everything like that, but that was easier than there's, the biggest thing is getting distribution, being able to get the books into the bookstores. And is there a the, lot of cost associated with that? Or is it just knowing the right people? Well, it became the, the, the saving grace was knowing the right people. There's obviously a lot of cost, and, and I will put this disclaimer out there. Um, anyone listening, uh, there's, I'm going to have very little advice on, on how to, or any thoughts um, on, on really how, like, we're not killing it financially wise. Like, but I judge our success in a whole different way. Meaning like, it's, it's I, I, our platform is doing really, really well. I'm shocked how many people come to the site all the time. I'm, I'm like beyond um, humbled who comes on the podcast these days. It's just, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, to the point where I, I'm, you know, I pick up a book and, and read, I'm able to contact the author and just to talk to him. I mean, I've, I've talked to my favorite drummer, um, Billy Martin. I've, I've, you know, Latif, I got to talk to Latif recently, Razgaz and two hip hoppers that we both know. I mean, just, it's, it's just humbling to me, you know, a couple of our books have done pretty well, but I mean, 
I have, I've, I, for majority of the time, um, my day job has supported the art and I'm totally fine with that. Cause I'm just, I love, um, where this has journey has taken me. I'm, I'm here for the journey. I'm here to have these conversations. I, I, I'm so thrilled this, 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 um, platform exists that I, that I'm, I'm able to tell stories. So like, it's, so yeah, we definitely had killed, but, uh, I also, you know, I want to do right by our authors. So when I'm working with a, with a writer, um, you know, I want to make sure I can get their books in as many bookstores as possible. So distribution was a big, big problem and they make it hard. Meaning you have to, before you even talk to a distributor, you have to sell a certain amount of books. And I always think of the, the most deaf line in the, in, in the, uh, his song, the questions like, you know, how do I get you know, how do I get ID if I don't have ID, you know, like how do you get distribution? If you, you know, if you can't sell a certain amount of books, you can't get distribution, but if you don't, how do you sell those books? If you don't have distribution, like it just, it reminds me of a lot of times when people are applying to jobs and it's like, you know, you got to have three to five years experience. It's like, well, who's given out three to five years experience. Yeah. Give me that experience. (laughs) Exactly. But it was so, I, I did get lucky. Um, I had some people who, you know, kind of saw what we were doing at Across the Margin and saw its growth and saw that we were kind of getting into publish, publishing and reached out and like, I, I, I can help you get a distributor there, trust me. So I kind of went under someone's umbrella um, and kind of snuck into distribution, which was great because I, I want to make sure, like I said, that I'm, I'm giving these writers as, as, as big a, big a plat, you know, big an audience as, as they deserve. And um, yeah, so that was one of the biggest challenges and, and we were able to do that. I mean, but, you know, we, we do everything incrementally, meaning, I mean, I, we've only published like seven books. And, and the reason to that is like, we, 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 we like delving into all these different fields. We see it just like I was talking about um, because of the internet, just like, it's, it's kind of like this whole thing where I'm, where, you know, I love being able to, you know, use that book as, as, as kind of a window into the mental health. Like I was saying the things there's one, one we did um, that I'm really proud of. It kind of speaks to, the, to what I'm talking about with this whole different big art piece. Cause I just releasing a book for just releasing a book's sake really doesn't intrigue me that much. But so there was this project I worked on with this author, uh, Ray Adib, and it was a young adult sci-fi novel. It's called Seneca Rebel. And, and, and there's nothing young adult about our site, but there was something very intriguing about this project where we were just like, let's not just put out a book. Let's, let's create a world. And so, and you know, the book did actually very, very good, but we spent so much money creating a world that, you know, we obviously didn't, didn't, you know, you know, make a ton of money off it, but it didn't matter because it was so exciting. We created this website that was, it was called the Seneca Society. It was one of the most intense. We actually, the, the, it was a, she's a film writer and she had the, she had a pretty well-known director um, kind of who does this world create this website that it was all these different crazy layers to it I mean I was gonna say I forgot we're just doing it over audio there's a on the cover the cover art has like it's there's secret messages in it that 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 apply to the to the website and and like we had I mean I worked with the um, uh, the Mass Brothers, it's a well-known um, chocolatiers. They created a chocolate bar for it. There was a, we had a jeweler, very well-known jeweler in uh, Los Angeles created like uh, earrings that the, the main character um, uh, wore. Just, there was all these different pieces to it. And we were trying to, what we were trying to do was take 
what was on the page into the world as much as possible. And yeah, I think we were successful in some ways, but I mean, that was, that's, that's the excitement for me finding, you know, any way I can take what's on the page into the real world in an exciting way, something I, I, I want to do more and look forward to do down the road. It seems like with media now that the idea of cross, not just cross platforming, but cross experience mm -hmm. is yes. becoming more and more the norm, not just for places like Disney. I mean, that's been a thing for Disney for a long time, but as people's attentions are shrinking, the opportunities to consume media are growing, the platforms are growing and changing, you kind of, you're, you're forced in a way to meet some of your audience halfway. And so this idea that you're going to not just do a book, but mm -hmm. do a, an accompanying podcast and a YouTube mini series that goes mm -hmm. with it and jewelry Topic that's, jewelry. yeah, all this uh, stuff. Everything. It's, it's, yeah. um, it's all part of the, you know, it's not limited to just superhero films. You know, the MCU is kind of the crown jewel of this idea yeah. and, and as they're growing into you know disney plus and and all these other different places they're starting to explore this idea themselves but yeah um but yeah this experience like that was a, a word that you used that i think is um is on point yeah. it's just i like, mean if 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 the book could just be the start of of something more visceral like that's that's exciting that's, I mean, books are amazing as is. I'm such an avid reader that that's, that's a deep dive. That's an experience as well. But I mean, if when, once you close it, it's sometimes hard when you finish a great book, but if like what's awaiting for you afterwards is, is, is there's something there. Like that's what that, that was the idea. But, you know, right after you finish the book, you go into the Seneca society website and there's this whole world you can get into. And, and, and there was like secret pages within the pages. We went deep on that one. I'll I show you the page sometime. It's really, really wonderful. But just like it, it, it just with where we are in media right now, it doesn't have to be just one thing. And I just think those, you know, cross patterns, those, those, those spots where you just, you, you tangle the web in a way that's, that's a lot of fun. What do you think bigger publications are missing right now when it comes to how they're adapting to new technologies, new audiences, that sort of thing? Because I'm sure you all have had to make adjustments yeah. as the brand has grown, both because your audience size is, is larger, but also because distribution channels are changing and all mm -hmm. that. Um, but I'm, as you're, you know, putting your consumer hat on, yeah. uh, what do you think that bigger publications or bigger media institutions aren't getting right that maybe mm -hmm. smaller indie outlets are, or that's a place that they're thriving? Yeah. It's such a good question. And it's something I ponder all the time. And it just, you know, I, I really like the focus and I think it's a lot of why you see a lot of even really good writers and really good journalists kind of branching off into this individual journalism or individual writing 
kind of world where everyone's got uh, a Substack now. It's a Substack. I think I'm kind of going towards a Substack discussion <laughs> right now, and it's just because it's you know, first off, I think a lot of it has to do with. I love the discussion that's existing in the ethos right now that people are having just about how, um, you know, corporations are just have kind of been taking advantage of the little guy for a while. I I see this conversation and, you know, the push for a lot of left-wing socialism type things, which I support very much, uh, just kind of out there a little bit more than ever. And it's, it's in any way that we can get money to the artist without it getting just ripped apart. And, but, and anyone who's worked as, as we do, or it just, you know, the more deep you get into, into the world of whether publishing or any, even the podcasting world or anything, you see how the artists get screwed and, and just how, you know, how tough it is for them to really do well. And, and some of the most gifted people are just getting the least. And it's really, really, it's disheartening. And so it's really exciting to see these different outlets that are, or just, it, it just these efforts, the fact that so many different things are coming to life, whether it's, I'll go ahead and say, whether it's like something like OnlyFans, where, mm-hmm. you know, they, they like get getting money into the pocket. I, I do this thing um, where I'm buying most of my music now on Bandcamp. And so like, it's, it's, you know, doesn't have their interface on the phones, not as good as Spotify, but it's still, it's still good enough. And I'll buy all my, you know, records there. And every, um, the first uh, Friday of every month, every single dollar that you spend at Bandcamp goes straight into the artist's pocket, straight up. Like that's incredible. And that, that's an effort made by Bandcamp. I, 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 I'm happy to say their name here because they should blow up. It's the, what they've been doing for artists during this whole pandemic has been incredible. Like I, they've, the amount of money I don't have the number in front of me is just absolutely outstanding. But yeah, even even the idea of Substack's interesting to to think about because I mean, it is anything that can can kind of subverse what's happened. What do you think of it? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I do. So I'm I would still consider myself pretty young in media, absolutely. and yep. um, you know, one thing that places like Substack specifically just there there is some benefit I think to institutions check you know having a check and balance on ideas you know I I feel like a lot of the folks that I saw Mm. that were leaving their publications for Substack it was uh, there was a disagreement in in editorial editorial yeah 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 and um and so, you know, I, while on the one hand, I totally understand that, I do think that building coalitions around ideas and no presenting doubt. a front can be powerful. Um, you know, I'm sure you feel this way as well about across the margin. Like, there's a reason that you do it as across the margin and not just as the Mike mm-hmm. Shields blog. Mm-hmm. There is some benefit to having a team there. Um, yeah. But, you know, in the case of something like, only fans and and for me you know i have a, a patreon page um yeah. to help support this show and, and other things that i'm working on and and so from that standpoint i think that it's it's a, a great opportunity for people to get used to this because we're all you know social media in particular has kind of moved everybody into this um like subscribe to my content lifestyle mm-hmm. um 
more and more folks are becoming accustomed to following individuals, whether it be yeah. through social media, through a Patreon, a, you know, OnlyFans, Instagram, YouTube, all this kind of stuff, you're connecting directly to the creators. And so one, one of the issues or, or two things, I guess, I think that are holding it back. One is that a lot of folks just don't have the, the fans and the artists all kind of exists a lot of times in a economic tier that doesn't allow for tons of money to be flowing all the time. Yeah, right. So like, totally. um, you know, artists aren't making a ton if they're doing like coffee shop shows and stuff. And then they're like taking that little bit of money they have and either pouring it back into their art or going and like spending money at the bar. Yeah. Cause all the people that support their shows are like their local bartenders and, and folks that work in restaurants. And so there's like, yeah. I just think that there's not a lot of money and this would get into a whole income. It almost, it almost, it, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, you, know, you can probably tell from what I said just a minute ago, how I feel about that, but uh, it almost feels like tips. Yeah. Some, of the, some of the stuff just feels like it's, which is good. Great. I mean, everything matters, everything counts, but you're right within that realm. Like what are like, what's the high end? What's, what's, what's really happening? Does it work? I mean, it's, I love when I first, the idea of like the gig economy, if I kind of first hit my world, I was like, this is amazing. And now I just can't stop thinking about how that could be so problematic to some people with the lack of safety net and the lack of like, you know, it's, it's, it's been like warped the, in a way that yeah. seems like it's not actually helping the quote unquote independent contract. The ones that, that, that it seemed like it was designed uh, to help. I would like to circle back by, to what you were just saying though. Cause I mean, there is um, so, something so special about uh, and specifically when it comes to journalism and some really hard hitting stories that have really broke some things throughout our lifetime and, and beyond that, that are really important that if these stories didn't come to life and that wasn't just a writer that was, I mean, we're talking about editors, uh, fact checkers, producers, just, I mean, the, the, the team that's been behind some works um, and just probably most books that we've read. I mean, I know how hand in hand I work with some you know, writers on just stories all the time. It's, I mean, we go back and forth and, and I also know that I've, I've written some stuff that um, I would have made a fool myself if, if it didn't run by multiple people's desk or even like I could have just been, you know, it was ruined if it wasn't like, no, Mike, don't do this. Or, you know, how about we do this way? You know, it's the, the, con you know, collaboration of the art form is, is something that, that can't be dismissed. Where do you, in these places that you want to grow, mm -hmm. where are you thinking about across the margin really taking a leap next? You talked about podcasting some. Yeah. I know that you are thinking about potentially growing some in that space as it continues to evolve and change. But are there other areas that you're really thinking about where across the margin can take that next big step? Yeah. Um it's, it's a great question. And it's, it's, I almost feel my answer is going to be a little bit of a cop-out, but it does speak to um, an ethos I really, really believe in. And I know that um, we kind of, that we're in a culture that, that really uh, loves novelty and, and it's always, um, it loves the, you know, the cyclical and I was always reaching for what's new and what's different and always, uh, just wants what's next, what's next. And I just, I, I 
I believe very much so in, um, you know, kind of caring for what you have and maintenance and kind of, you know, internal growth in a way. So my focus very much so when it comes to our podcast and I will speak on, we are trying to, you know, we're growing our podcast um, division of ATM media. Cause I just feel it's, it's such a great tool to telling stories and there's a lot we want to do there. But when it comes to the podcast that we exist, I get offers all the time, you know, just, do you want to, um, you know, let's do that. Let's start this new podcast together. He's like, you know, don't worry. You're kind of, kind of almost urging saying, don't worry about what you have. And I just, it just, I almost find it insulting uh, to, to almost all the guests that I've had on the show. I'm like, across the margin, the podcast is always going to exist as far as I'm concerned, because so many people have come on and, and, and poured their energy and their passion into it. And I'm, I'm going to always honor that and, and take that forward. And, you know, we're going to put more love into the publishing wing eventually. One of the reasons we kind of slowed down is, um, and, and I've alluded to already, is like, it's a big deal for me to take a book out into the world. We put out a book, um, a great, great uh, creative mind, Doran Schumacher, who uh, she, the book was called Vanity Fair. It was about Helen Gardner, who was a she was the, literally the first like woman uh, way back in the day who ran her own production company in film. And it's really, it's a cool art piece book. And um, uh, the pandemic hit right, right when we put this out for her. And it was devastating. Like she, this was, this was a really exciting like work. It's, she is actually uh, the great granddaughter of Helen Gardner. It was like, it, it was personal to her in a lot of ways. And we couldn't get out there and get into bookstores and travel it around and, and um, it, and right then I'm like I'm uh, we're gonna sit back on the publishing thing because it's it's we're we're an indie publication you know and and it takes the legwork and that's the fun of it to me too but we we need to be out there that's 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 and, and that's something I live for and I want to be out there more also I want I want our podcast to be live I want more video I want these interviews I want you know and now I'm getting into the growth a little bit but like it just it takes being out there in the world and. And, and luckily we're able to tell so many stories from behind this desk and, and you know, the, what we, I mean, the increase in submissions when people were behind their computer more was through the roof. And that means we were able to put out better works all the time. And, and unfortunately not get to all the submissions, our staff's not what it was. And people have had to care about, you know, taking care of their family more and we get that. And so we're doing our best, but um, I really believe in that and nurturing what you have. And, and I wish, like that, that was something we thought about as a culture more maintenance and care of what we have instead of always jumping to that new, but I also get it too. I want, I, I you know, I'm, I, I get excited about things and I, I want to grow and you know, it's, I get it. That's the arborist in you. I think that, that maintenance <laughs> and care of yourself, totally. but you, there's a lot to that. And you mentioned Ginny O'Dell's book, how to do nothing, something that mm. we've bonded over quite a bit. Um, that, that is a huge, piece of her narrative is this idea of of self-care but mm. also of how care for ourselves connects to how we care for the environment that we're in and how important that is to think regionally locally about the energy that you're receiving and you're putting back yeah. out into the world so doesn't that it doesn't that really speak to like you know what your goals are and like one thing that's beautiful about her book and it's also did you see soul i haven't you watched yet. soul yet you should watch soul it's really great 
and kind of like the crux of that and Jen's book is, um, is, is finding a way or coming to the realization that, you know, seeing the mere uh, living of life, seeing his existence, appreciating existence at his fullest as the highest goal. Like if you're able to, you know, stop chasing the money or stop chasing whatever you're chasing and realize like, like kind of pull it in and, and enjoy this ride. Like in that being your goal, like, and, and kind of, I, I touched on it a little bit, just how excited I am just to have this thing, have across the margin, have this ability to speak to these sage minds and have this conversation with you about it, just to have all these things now. Like if I was to get too, too caught up and don't get me wrong, I, we have ambitions and there's some plans that, that are all in the works, but like if I was to get too, too caught up on what's next, I'm not able to enjoy this because I do enjoy this. And even though I'm able to, it's, it's, it's a gift for a lot of people to that, you know, their work it, it shows up, whether it's on the podcast or in the page or we publish their work. It's, it's, it's all such a joy to me. And I don't want to miss that. And I really, and I feel also that, you know, and I, I guess this is, might be just hoping a little too much, but I hope that if I keep putting my heart into it and keep loving it, it, it blossoms. It all happened organically anyways. And I'm hoping it blossoms more organically if I just care about it. And I do, I haven't, I haven't lost one bit of, um, uh, you know, uh, love for, for anything that's dealt with the world of across the margin at all. And which is wild because uh, it's, it's, you know, dealing with that other field that we were talking about. I mean, there was a point where I had to step entirely away from it because it just didn't do anything for me. And I'm actually at a, I, I'm involved in a project now that's kind of pulled me back and loving it again, but nothing in the creative world um, with publishing or publishing stories every day or, or podcasting or whatever else we're doing, doing live events has, has waned even a little bit. I think you're spot on in terms of like how to prioritize all these things, especially as we're dealing with a pandemic um, for people to recalibrate and like, that's important um, yeah yeah and also know like when they can give their, their best selves and no matter you know regardless of whether you're running a business or not like those things are super important to um your ability to tell stories in the mm -hmm. manner that you want and i i it really resonates with me that you're excited about getting back out and doing live events because that's something that i've missed okay. Um, and that's like a huge part of New York culture, but I think that's just like a huge part of any culture, any yeah. urban creative culture really was hit pretty hard last year with just not being able to, cause that's where a lot of people make connections that become mm -hmm. other artistic collaborations where stories are in the, are incepted, you know, yeah. I don't know if that's actually... I think it is. No, not, it's but, uh, okay. I think it is. Tell, tell me, editor, if that's, if that's right or not. <laughs> it totally um, works. No, you're right. And you know what? I, I know a lot of people almost feel worried. Um, and I, of course, there's going to be PTSD uh, uh, about, you know, what we've all been through. And, you know, we all look at each other uh, in, in a way right now where we're, because we're scared. I truly believe in the power of, of how, incredible it is when we get together when we congregate and i just i i i 
again, I'm probably being overly hopeful, but once we're able to, I think we shake this thing off in a way that no one can imagine because we, we, we are people who need to be around each other. We, we, we thrive in that and in, in art most of all. And just, yes, you're right. I mean, it's great to read a book, but like, it's also so awesome to get with people and talk about it or, or hear the person read it and talk about it. And those opportunities are really, really wonderful. And we, you know, you were talking just about how, you know, this made us think about priorities, right? And, and but also what we were talking about is, is I think we've learned so much in the speech to the Substack stuff where we're talking about, we've also learned that we need to take care of each other in a major way that they're, they're not, we've seen so, we've seen them, I'll, use, I'll just go stick with that, fail us in such a major way in taking care of us, those that, that should, that have the means. And we realize more than ever that we need to take care of each other. And that's in art and in life. And so that's why it's fun to see these, things come to life where, where we are able to put that money in someone else's pocket. I mean, there's even friends. I see it all the time on, on, on my Twitter feed, people I know are like, yo, I'm, I'm stuck right now. You know, can someone bend with me? And like, they'll be like right away, you know, like, Oh, I'm good. You know, stop right then. Like, I mean, like it's just, you know, we, we, it's been a wake up call and we, we got each other. We have to have each other. And that's, that's in, like I said, in our, and in life. What are your favorite kinds of stories to tell as we're winding down uh, this conversation? I, I want to get back to specifically for you. What is it that you engage with when it comes to storytelling Ooh. in terms of composition, the way that you like telling stories, but also just yeah. what ideas intrigue you? What brings Mike Shields away from the editor desk and into the uh into the writer's seat. Yeah, um, that is something that I, that I will speak negatively about the obligations that I've, I've taken on in this role is uh, I used to love to write, I love fiction so much. Love, love, love. I love satire, you know, just getting, you know, the, the you know, world building, um, just getting lost in that. It's just, it's amazing. I, I feel like you can learn as much and, and sometimes I even feel more in like a really cutting satire, just a deep, you know, wild fiction story. Is that too real? Uh, I think I'm being <laughs> hacked right now. Hold on a second. <laughs> um, and so I used to love writing a lot. Of, oh, is what's up, Mike? This is this is this is a nice treat getting some Tom Rao in the midst of the the body risky show. <laughs> we need to we need to have a a podcast, the three of us. I actually have never interviewed Tommy. So this is oh. a, a good opportunity for us to lean on him together to get, uh, get him back behind the, behind the desk. I've, uh, I, I was telling you Justin the other day, there's an open door for anything you guys want to collaborate with. And, and like you said, we have to lean on Tommy hard. Tommy's voice needs to be more out there in the world. I believe that. I believe the world would be a better place if we can get Rao in the mix. And that's, I think that's on me and you, Justin. You guys just got to coax me out, man. <laughs> I, I'm so comfortable now in the uh, in COVID times, just like being a hermit. It's gotten ridiculous. Yeah, he's well, living a very lavish lifestyle. I can attest to it firsthand. <laughs> this is true, Mike. I'm going to tell you guys and, and anyone who's listening to this that my my what was the word you used? Um, cur curious, curious contrarian. I think I said. I've been 
for the past 24 hours deep diving into NBA crypto trading <laughs> cards. Fucking wild world. So this is exactly what I'm speaking about when it comes to Tom Rao. Like the world needs to know more about your deep dive into, did you say NBA crypto trading, trading cards. cards? Yeah. So that's fucked up. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> Gotta catch them all. Yep. Well, maybe, uh, maybe the listeners will one day get, get our wish of having Tom Rao back behind the podcasting desk. But I thought so. you might appreciate that, uh, that little treat. I, I'm still, I have still yet to interview Tommy about his life. I'm kind of saving that one. I feel like that's got to be a big momentous. Uh, I'm telling you the people and me being the people are waiting for that. I, I would absolutely love that. Go, go deep too. There's no time limit on that. That that's the mini series uh, waiting to happen. So I'll uh, I'll let you be the the editor on that one, so you can Please. fact check everything. Because I know we'll try to skirt some of the uh, questions. Uh, I know you got to get out of here, Mike. But I just want to thank you so much for being on the show today, and I'm really excited uh, for us to be able to work together, do some buddy risky across the margin collaborations in the future, and talk more about storytelling and and all the mini mediums and, and ways that it happens um where should people track you down track down the publication give people the links and everything they need to they need to hit hit up uh across the margin.com that's the website it all branches off from there but uh across the margins the podcast is uh the podcast um you can check out it's anywhere podcasts can be found at across the margin is um the uh twitter think that's everything insta whatever you need uh if you want to follow me personally it's at mike shizza s-h-z-a but um yeah across the margin.com and just go from there awesome well thanks again so much for uh for being on the show and i look forward to uh to talking soon absolutely thank you so much i had, I had, I had a blast and look forward to talking and working with you more so thanks thanks everyone listening all right mike <laughs>